our series entitled Let It Go. And thanks for that introduction, uh, Chris. It means so much when you, when you hear all these real-life examples coming from, from the body. I think that's such a cool thing. You know, over these last uh, four weeks, uh, we've been looking at a number of different topics. We saw in week one, letting go of smaller offenses. And we saw that your life is too short and your calling is too great to be offended by something small. And, you know, every offense that, that we hold is like trying to hold on to this uh, ghost pine, gray pine cone from, from California. I don't know if you see it, but every one of these has a, almost like a needle-like protrusion coming from it. When we hold on to, to offenses, it's like gripping broken glass. It's like, like, like trying to climb up barbed wire. And that's what this is all about. Your life is too short, and your calling, Denny, is too great to hold on to, to small offenses. But what do you do when you've been betrayed? And we saw that. You know, there, there, there are things that you would never categorize as, as a small offense. And we saw that this, this thing called forgiveness is a process of choosing to be good to those who are not good to me by letting go which is one of the words for forgiveness. The biblical word for forgiveness means to let go, and the other biblical word for, for forgiveness is unconditional grace, charizomai. And so when we have been betrayed, we, we, we begin a process, or we need to begin a process, of choosing to be good to those who are, have not been good to me. And even if that means saying and changing a prayer from God, let them go to hell to God, I want what's best for them. I want what's best for them. That's where it starts and ultimately that's where it ends, wanting the best for the person who has betrayed us. But if it's nothing more than even dare I say, an insincere prayer to mouth the words, I want what's best for that person. And God, if that's justice, it's justice, right? And we learn that, that forgiveness does not preclude justice. There are all kinds of things that forgiveness does not mean. Last week, as, uh, as Chris mentioned, uh, Dave shared a message about being offended at God. Now, we realize that, that God does not sin, so we, we, it's not technical technically correct to say that we would forgive him. But you know what we're getting at, right? When, when you're holding a grudge against God for his allowing something to, to happen in your life, or if you're of the persuasion that he even brought it on to you. And what David was getting at last week was to, to look to how God has used all kinds of negative circumstances and made good of them. And that story of, of Uncle Don was, was fantastic. And look how how God took the death of a little girl, a 12-year-old girl, who wanted to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. And she was killed by a drunk driver. Now, Don would have had every right in the world to, to, to be resentful, to, to even hate. But he realized what it could do to him. And instead, he embraced forgiveness and ultimately the death of that little girl resulted in, in people coming to Jesus Christ, including David's dad, and as a result of David's dad, David himself, and 
countless others throughout the years and the decades following her, Beth's death. And, and we, we can start to see how God uses those kinds of circumstances when we give them over to him and he makes good of them. And don't let, don't let your, your, your mind tell you, oh, well, that might be good for you, but you don't know what happened to me. People who follow these steps in the most horrendous of circumstances see their lives and the lives of others change. Today we're talking about maybe what is the most difficult for some of us, and that's forgiving ourselves. And before we go any further, let's ask uh, God's Holy Spirit to to watch our hearts and our minds and to persuade our wills. Let's pray. Lord God, we're, uh, we're entering into a territory today that uh, might be very, very difficult for some people. And God, I pray that through this message, your Holy Spirit would continue to work. Through your word, your Holy Spirit would continue to work. Through the story of, of those even in your word, who have submitted themselves to, to this process of forgiveness and being forgiven. God, that your Holy Spirit would use those stories in our hearts and in our minds and ultimately in our wills to change a trajectory which is self-destructive to one which can change lives and families and communities and nations We pray that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, forgiving yourself. Uh, we've, been, we've been talking about forgiving others, right? And the question has come up, well, where, 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 does, where does apologizing come in? I mean, I'm not going to forgive someone until they apologize. And, and we've seen that, that if we go down that road, if we if we if we expect someone to apologize, we're putting all the control in that person's camp, right? And it is totally conditional. That means that our forgiveness is conditioned upon what the other person is going to do. And if you've been abused, like my wife was, and she and I, through this journey, came to realize that, that without forgiveness, that abuser has power for the rest of your life. And so, now, though, we turn the tables. What if you're the abuser? What if in a stupid moment of, uh, of college drunkenness, you took advantage of somebody? What if in the moment of, of passion, you gave yourself to somebody and you wish you hadn't done that. What about those words that we say to our kids or our spouses? The words that we say that we wish we could pull back. What about those things that, you know, in, in moments 
of weakness, or maybe in moments of full intentionality, maybe it's not weakness, but we were different people. You know, Scripture says, and as such were you, but you have been saved, and you're not that anymore. But what about those things? And they kind of hang over us. What do, what do we do about that? Now, you can imagine that in 25 minutes, this is a tough topic to, to deal with. And there are all kinds of ideas of forgiving myself. And is this apologizing? Do I have to reconcile with, with a person? Uh, what, what about shared blame? I mean, they, 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 they were at fault, you know? They, 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 they were a part of this too. Do I really have to seek forgiveness? What's this, what's this repentance thing about? You know, I, I, we cannot cover all those things. That's why a four-week uh, series on forgiveness is it's kind of lame, really, you know? And I don't, I don't want to turn this into a typical Verda series of two and a half years. But, but uh, I, I, I have to ask your forgiveness because, you know, it's been too many years since I've done a series. The last series I did on this uh, was... was uh, six or seven uh, messages long, and it was too many years ago. And I've been sharing with staff, this is one topic that we should talk about on an annual basis. We need an annual series on forgiveness. Some churches make a big deal about having an annual series about stewardship and money, okay? That, 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 that's important, but I'll tell you, this, this caps them all. Because we, we follow a God, we follow a Savior who's all about what? The reason we follow him is because we have been forgiven. And so, with all of this in mind, if you're a Christ follower, maybe you have been forgiven, but you just can't forgive yourself. What do you do? I want to share four things with you this morning. These are things that I've had to use in my own life, and I want to encourage you. Uh, and it's not, this isn't a neat little package with a, with a bow on the top, okay? Because just like forgiving someone else is a process, so forgiving ourselves is a process. But every time you take a step, you find greater freedom, and you, you, you find a greater ability to, to be able to, to hang out with people and be used of God in their lives. First thing, and I, I preface every one of these points with a passage from Scripture. The first thing we have to know, and whether you are a Christ follower or not, look at these great words. In fact, let's read them together because this is how important they are. But if we confess our sins to him, he can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. And it is perfectly proper for God to do this for us because Christ died to wash away our sins. Now, a lot of you have probably heard that verse uh, before in different translations. This is the Living Bible uh, translation. It's, it's, it's like cookies on the bottom shelf, right? It's accessible. But you've probably heard, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? What a, what a great reminder. But forgiving ourselves has to start here. It has to start here. 
Some people would say, well, really, you, you have to start that with an apology. See, apologies fall into this all the time. But here's the problem. What if the person isn't ready to receive your apology? Can you still be forgiven? What if the other person has died? Can you still be forgiven? What if you just have totally lost track of the person? They've moved. They hate Facebook. You cannot find them anywhere. But here's where it starts. It starts with your relationship with him. And if you are not yet in a relationship with him, here is one of the greatest invitations. Because what, if you're carrying something, his promise and the promise of God's word is that he can be depended on to forgive us because that's what he has promised he would do. If there's been a key verse in this entire series, it's Jesus hanging on the cross. And one of the seven last words of Christ was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive me. And maybe you can say, I don't know what I'm doing. Or maybe you say, I fully knew what I was doing. But I really didn't know what the implications were going to be. But you have to realize that this is where it starts. And we have to embrace that. We have to make that a part of who we are. And for some of us, that means we're going to confess this every single day. We're going to go to him every single day. And some of you are saying, yeah, but technically, Pastor, it says that he can, he's, he's faithful and just and he's going to forgive us and, and it's once and done. Yeah, it's once and done. It is. But we're going to see why we need to go there every single day until something happens. Embrace God's forgiveness. Second, again, Scripture. And this is why you might have to do it every single day. Scripture is 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And you have to realize that, that forgiveness and sin and being broken and messed up and what our broken, messed upness does to other people is a part of, of, a, of a picture, a worldview that this book presents. And one of the things that, that the worldview of this book presents is that there is a God in heaven who loves you and he sent his son Jesus into this world to redeem you and now he has also sent the Holy Spirit to live in you and to abide with us as Christ's followers. And there's a fourth important factor in there. Not part of the Trinity, but in direct opposition to that Trinity. And that person is known as Satan. And you may say, oh, geez, you're going there. And those of you at home, you might be saying, oh, man, this is a wackadoodle guy. Really, you believe in Satan? And let me just say this, that if you can believe in God, Satan is a lesser being, and so certainly you can believe in Satan. Do I believe in Satan? Yes, I do. Do I believe in demons? Yes, I do. Do I believe in angels? Yes, I do. And I'm not a wackadoodle. I'm not a wackadoodle. There are some people in the congregation right now who are saying, well, maybe, okay? But here we go. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says this. Stay alert. Now, I have to pause for one second. We're going to find out what the credentials of this guy are. But he knows this because he's been victimized. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Some of, you know, the, the DRV, 
translation of that, the Dennis Richard version, or Dennis Richard Verda version of that is, he prowls around like a cocky SOB, looking for someone to devour. Looking for someone to devour. And forgiveness is a key point because unforgiveness will eat us alive. And Satan knows that better than anything else. You know, when there's a, when there's a great church, when there's a body that loves each other, you know the one thing that'll kill it? Someone being offended, <clears throat> sharing that by way of gossip, and allowing unforgiveness to just filter its way through a congregation. It happens all the time. And we have to be aware of that. But you have to be aware that your unwillingness to forgive yourself is a scheme that Satan wants to use against you. If you flesh out that, that passage, that verse, and around its context... Give all your worries and cares. So 1 Peter 5, 7 now. Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And then the verse we're looking at, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. I love the shirt that some of you people are wearing around church and around town and around work. It says, not today, Satan. And when you hear the voice in your mind that says, you dirty, rotten POS, you say, not today, Satan. I have been created in the image of God. I'm not a POS. I am an IOG, image of God. I am the image bearer of God. He says that about me. And what he says about me is true. So not today, Satan. Not today. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. But, but, do not be confused. Do not be confused. Satan is the accuser, okay? He wants to do what we just talked about. But he is also one who likes to counterfeit. And there is a true kind of guilt. And there is a false kind of guilt. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says this. Let's read it together. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Two kinds of sorrow, two kinds of guilt. What are they? Okay, which one do you think Satan wants to represent in your life? Okay, let's again, let's read the whole context of that verse. Paul, Apostle Paul is speaking, uh, he has been engaged in some difficult conversations with the church at Corinth for some of the behaviors that have been going on there, and uh, he says this in verse 9, I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, 
but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Your sorrow led you to change. Your sorrow led you from the direction that you were going to take a turn in your life. So now I was reading that screen. I'll take a turn and read on from this screen. For you became sorrowful as God intended. Okay? Godly sorrow, God, God wants us to experience that. It's okay to be sorrowful. Don't, don't think and don't let Satan tell you and don't let the world tell you. Don't let anyone tell you that just because you're sorrowful, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be sorrowful. You want your best life now. You should be happy. Let me show my great big teeth. You know who I'm talking about. Um, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow. It's like holding crushed glass. It's like climbing up barbed wire. You know what it does? It name calls you all the time, the tape that plays in your mind. Verse 11, but see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness. I want to get past this. What eagerness to clear yourselves. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. What indignation. I hate this about myself. I need to change this. See, indignation is what precedes repentance. What, or turning is what that word means. What alarm. What? I did what? <laughs> I, I caused what? What longing. I, I, I want to make this right with you. What concern. Look, look, look what might happen to, to my kids. Look what might happen to my family. Look what might happen to, to, to my work group at, at work if I continue down this road. And notice what readiness to see justice done. Just because you forgive yourself doesn't mean that you're letting somebody else or yourself off the hook. I want to make this right. I want to set this right. Those of us who have been a part of the recovery community know what that's called. And that's called making amends. This is important to realize that there is a godly sorrow and there's a, dare I say the word, and everyone thinks I'm a wackadoodle, demonic sorrow or worldly sorrow. Do you see the difference? So we have to realize, part two, realize unforgiveness is a tool to take you out of the game to take you out of the game. Now let me give you an example of that, my third point. My third point is this. Remember the series we just completed. We spent a year in it. So remember, love this story. Remember how, how Jacob back in the Old Testament and his family got into this really weird thing and, and, and the kids threw their brother Joseph into a pit and ended up, one, trying to kill him, but then sending him off into slavery. And do you remember how he forgave his brothers who did that to him? But then about a year later, they were so afraid of him. And he saw that 
and he had to forgive them again. And what did they do? They received forgiveness the first time, but they never forgave who? Themselves. But even beyond Jacob and, jo- Jacob and his brothers, Joseph and his brothers, Peter and Jesus. Think about Peter for a second. He's the one who just a few moments ago said, be aware the devil is like a roaring lion seeking someone to, to devour. Peter knew this. Let me ask you a question. Who betrayed Jesus? Peter and Judas. I didn't think the Holy Spirit inspired the gospel writers to include the two stories of Judas and Peter to show us these two types of regret, these two types of sorrow. Because Judas betrayed Jesus, and we can argue about if that was as bad as, as Judas's. You know, are, are Peter and Judas's betrayals similar? But Judas betrayed Jesus in such a way that it ultimately led to his, his crucifixion, right? And how did he handle the sorrow and the guilt when he realized that he had traded 30 pieces of for for his Savior. Remember what Paul said about worldly sorrow? It leads to death. Now, obviously, all worldly sorrow does not lead to someone taking their own life. But it certainly can. And it certainly does. But then look at Peter, who... (laughs) Peter, you know... How big was his mouth? About, you know, a size 14 shoe. Um, and, and he was always doing stuff. Even, even when, when Judas's whole betrayal started to play itself out, Peter was like Superman coming to the rescue. He pulls out a knife, a sword, and that when, when, they're, trying to, when they're trying to capture Jesus, it's just whack, and they, you know, he takes off the ear, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. What have I been teaching you for the last three years? This is not the way of love. This is not the way of God. And I give him the opportunity to stick an ear back on, and that was even cooler. Um, but but then, then, then Peter would also have said, when, when Jesus said, you know what? People do, people do stupid stuff. And Peter's like, oh, not me. Even when the going gets tough, I'm going to stick with you. And Jesus looked at him, Peter, Peter, Peter. Before this night's over, three times you're going to deny me. And sure enough, that's exactly what Peter did. And the gospel writer says that after that, he wept. Now, it's important to realize that that's reported in the Gospels, but it's most importantly reported by Mark. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know anything about Mark? Mark was not a disciple. Mark was not a first-hand witness of what happened in Jesus' life. But he was somebody's administrative assistant. He was a secretary to none other than Peter. And so when Peter was telling his story, he said, 
you need to tell this story about my broken and messed upness. And here's how it played out. And so he tells the story. And he ends by saying, and I wept my guts out. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be Peter after you heard that Jesus was raised from the dead? I kind of think, now this isn't in the Bible. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say this. Should I say it? I, I, I kind of think that when Peter heard that Jesus was resurrected, his first reaction was, oh crap. You, you, you know what I'm saying? But then he quickly realized everything that Jesus had said, and he was like, oh man, I got to see him. And John says this. He wraps up his gospel by telling the story. Jesus was standing on the shore, and he saw Peter and the guys out fishing, and uh, in his typical Jesus way, he called out and said, hey, hey guys, how, how's the fishing going? And they're like, oh, shut up, not very well. Who are you? And Jesus doesn't respond to that question. He just simply says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they're like, oh, we've been here before. Um, so they throw their net on the other side, and 100, I, I love this about the Gospels, 157 fish. Can you imagine? That was a cool miracle. One, two, three. You know. 157 fish. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter, I want to have a word with you. And it was a good thing they were standing by the seashore because he could tell all his friends, oh, that's just a little uh, a wave came in there. You know, the puddle down by his foot when Jesus said, I want to have a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, did you get it at home? I don't know. No one in this room seemed to have gotten that one. But I think everyone's kind of incredulous about some of the things I've already said. So, And Jesus says to him, Peter, do you, do you love me? And he uses the word agape, which is unconditional love. G Peter, do you, do, you, do you love me with unconditional, self-sacrificing love? And Peter responds, Jesus, I love you like a brother. Jesus asks, do you agape me? And Philip says, well, I phileo you. F Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. I, I, I love you like a brother, Jesus. Because, you know, he knows who Jesus is at this point. He's not going to say, oh, yeah, I, I, I love you with self-sacrificing love. Just look at me back the day you were... Oh, oh, never mind. Can't say that, right? Not going to lie. Jesus, I, I love you like a brother. Jesus says, do you, do you love me with self-sacrificing love? Jesus, or Peter says, I love you like a brother. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Do the stuff that I've been telling you to do. Notice, there's, 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 no, there's no baggage there. There's no, well then, you know what? You better apologize to me. It doesn't say that. And Peter would have told us through Mark if Jesus had said that. John would have reported that. 
And Jesus says a second time, do do you you love me with self-sacrificing love? And Peter says a second time, I love you like a brother. Then feed my lambs. And Jesus, just to drive the point home, three calls of the, of the, of the rooster, three denials. I'm going to ask you three times, Jesus. And this time he changes it and he says, Peter, do you love me like a brother? And Peter says, yeah, I do. And Jesus says, well, then do the stuff that I've been telling you to do. You see, Peter's self-forgiveness wasn't a big complicated thing. It was just doing some business with, with, with God and then acting as if he were forgiven. Just like David talked about last week, when we, when we hold something against God, we, we have to start acting like we have been forgiven. Not sit there and, and wallow in, in this stuff. And believe me, I've been in situations. As a dad, I have failed my kids. As a husband, I have failed my wife. As a pastor, I have failed my church. As a community member, I have failed my community. And I can choose to sit there and say, I'm a crappy pastor. I'm a crappy dad or a crappy husband. Or I can seek forgiveness. I can seek the forgiveness of God. I can forgive myself and move on. And that's what Peter Embrace God's forgiveness, point one. Two, realize unforgiveness is a tool to take you out of the game. And Peter could have been taken out of the game. And then look, third, to the example of others, especially those in this story. And everyone wants to know, why do I have the weights up here? Because these weights, these weights are like unforgiveness. And you can pile them up in your backpack. And you know, when I was young, I was three years old, I had very blonde, curly hair, and it was down to my shoulders until my dad said, I'm not going to have anyone ask, ask me anymore, what's the name of your little girl? And when my mom went to uh, town, he put me up on the picnic table, and he, uh, he gave me a haircut. Why did I say that? I forget. Oh, yeah, you know what? When you get old, your hair falls out and turns gray. And I don't think that's a gene thing. I think that's all the stuff we carry in our bags. You know what I'm talking about? I can choose to go through my life carrying this around with me. And I'll tell you this, it'll pull my back out real fast. But I want you to realize this, that we have a great gift. This started with the great gift of the forgiveness which is ours in Jesus Christ. And it ends with the forgiveness which is ours and the healing which is ours. Look around this room. Take, take 15 seconds right now. Just look and scan around this entire room. <clears throat> Dee, you too. Come on. Just look around the room. 
James, Jesus' half-brother, said this about forgiveness. Confess your sins to whom? Each other. How many of you know Dr. Ron Johnson? He usually sits back there, wears a tie and a sport coat. You know, he's, you know, he's totally like out of place at River Hills, right? But we say, come as you are, and that's the way he is, and so that's cool. He wrote a paper about this in seminary, and, and he said, you know, looks to me like, like Jesus' brother said we're supposed to not confess our sins to God, but confess our sins to, to people. And he got kicked out of the Baptist seminary because that's not the party line. Um, that's what I love about Ron. He doesn't care. Um, he, had to, uh, he had to come in for, for extra help and graduate eventually. But um, he'll tell you that story someday if he hasn't already. Jesus' half-brother says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We ask forgiveness of God and we are... He's faithful and just to for, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess our sins to each other and we are healed. As a young pastor, I had put together our leadership team. I planted a church in Milwaukee area, and I felt totally unworthy. Because every day, I was carrying this around. How can I stand in front of people when I have all this stuff in my hanging on my back. And I called up one of my elders. His name was Dave. I said, hey, can I come over tonight? I want to talk with you. And I shared this with him. I said, now this might surprise you. but here you go. This is something I did. Sorry, man, but here you go. Something else I did. I was wondering if I was going to be employed the next day. Dude, something else. Oh, and did I mention this one over here? <laughs> now, David, to this day, not the same David we know and love here, okay? But David, to this day, has carried those things for me. And he didn't go over and say, hey, Denny, you, you want to carry this one for pastor? Hey, Lisa, do you, do, can, can you believe this one? I mean, Ooh la la! <laughs> no. You know what he did? Dennis, you've, you've confessed this stuff to Christ. Right? Yeah? Lots and lots and lots of times. I just want to remind you that you are forgiven and I'll carry this one for you. And I'll never mention it to another person. And don't you either. 
And some of you right now are saying, what's the 25 pounder? The 15 pounders, I don't care. What's the 25 pounder? You know what? Na, 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 boo, boo. I'm forgiven. I have a brother who has heard my confession and I was healed. I don't need to confess it again. There might be other stuff that I've done. There is every day. But if there's stuff that you're carrying, know that God has given us the body of Christ so that we can lean into our brothers and sisters with our stuff. These are the four steps, as I understand them, outlined in Scripture, to forgiving yourself. Now let me say this. There are some things that that you may need to go and get some regular weekly help. And that's why God has equipped psychologists and psychiatrists and pastors to hear those types of things. But don't start there. Start with your brothers and sisters in Christ because that's what the body means, is, is all about. And let me say this, if someone comes to you, I want you to know that this is one of the most sacred things. People always ask me, do you like doing weddings? And I'm like, you know what? I'm in front of a bunch of drunken people half the time. The, 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 the wedding party is drunk. And it's like, no, no, you know, weddings are, are cool, but, but funerals are better because it's such a tender, tender, sacred moment. And this trumps them all. Because the person at a funeral is dead. Here, you're dealing with a life and a family and all their associations. And by hearing someone's confession and saying, you have been forgiven in Jesus, is a sacred thing. Hearing someone's confession and say, I'll carry that for you, is a sacred thing. Hearing someone's con- confession and, and saying, you can let this one go. Let it go and live in the freedom of Christ. That is a sacred Don't take it for granted. And don't look at your watch. If there's someone who you need to contact, say, hey, I'm going to be here for a while. And just be done with it. Let it go. And one of the reasons we can let it go is because we have our feet planted on the rock. And we're going to stand and we're going to celebrate that right now. And we are going to celebrate what God does for us when we stand in him. Think about Peter who denied and betrayed his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And yet he came to plant his feet on the rock. God used him. He preached the very first sermon in the history of Christianity. He was the guy that God appointed to preach that sermon, even though he denied the person he was preaching about. God used him to, pre- to, 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 to teach through the books of First and Second Peter and to tell us, be careful, because the devil is crawling about like a roaring lion seeking to eat you up. 
but let these things go because that's what he wants you to do. Hang on to them and squeeze them and, and, and hurt yourself and hurt others. Here, Denny, you, you want to catch this baby? You do not want to catch this baby. Okay. Let's plant our feet on the rock. 